The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics that we discuss here on the Law Report. So tonight, no fixed topic, but please note that we won't be taking calls on labour or property issues as we'll be dealing with rental property law on Monday the 26th of August and labour law again on Monday the 2nd of September. And before we begin, just a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. And if you'd like to download a podcast of the show, you'll find the link on the Facebook page. Well, we've received a few emails since the last time we did a law clinic, so we'll be dealing with those during the course of the show. So you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. And I'm joined this evening by attorney Louise Ostler, and she's an associate at Skillman Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Louise, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. It has. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for stepping in and uh, give, be giving Nicolina a night off, and uh, you yes. decided to come and help us out for a week. Yes. Thank she, you very she much. She deserves a break. She does. Shame. Yes, she does. And the weather's not that great in Cape Town tonight yeah, anyway. Yeah. So so just a reminder, if you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. What is your favorite Nelson Mandela quote? The SABC, Telcom and Nelson Mandela Center of Memory invite you to record a message for Madiba. Call 0800-333-803-0800-333-803 to leave your message in less than a minute. Standard rate supply. And SAFM may broadcast some of your messages. Right, Louise, let's get on with some of these emails that we've been getting. The first one, it sounds quite horrendous. It's from Fazile. He says, I booked at this four-star guest house from the 4th to the 31st. It doesn't say which month, sometime this year. This was paid for in advance by my employer. I moved into the guest house on the agreed date in the morning on the 24th on my way out to work. So he's already been there now for about 20 days. I was then asked if I knew that I'm supposed to move out and stay on a nu- at another establishment nearby, which is now a three-star, for two days. I wasn't happy with the arrangement and raised my concerns. The gentleman continued to say that I have to move out since the expected guests booked long before me. I then left to go to work, and to my surprise, after work, my belongings were no more in the room, but packed and somewhere else. I was left with no option but to find other accommodation. I then left and requested a refund, which I didn't receive. I feel my rights were violated and I was undermined. Please help. I need legal advice on this matter. Can you do that? No. I, you know, I feel sorry for the for Fazili. It must be terrible to come home after a long day and find all of your stuff gone. You know, nobody wants that to happen. Um, there are a lot of issues that could potentially, you know, uh, apply here. Obviously, we would need to know more information to know exactly what happened. But, you know, essentially this, this deals with the Consumer Protection Act um, and the fact that when somebody purchases something, whether it's a product or a service or anything like that, they expect it to be of a certain quality. And if it's not, then they have recourse and they're entitled to a refund or a credit or anything like that. So if he was, you know, if his employer booked a certain uh, level of accommodation at a certain place and that was then not provided, then it means that the service was not fulfilled as it was initially promised. So obviously, Fazile is not the one who would be entitled to a refund here because he says his employer paid it. Um, 
But obviously where Fazile could have a claim is for money that he spent, you know, in his personal capacity on staying somewhere else that was more appropriate for him. So well, that does sound like what happened because yeah. the employer already paid. He then got moved somewhere else and obviously then had to pay at the somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly Fazile would be able to, you know, lodge a uh, claim with the Consumer Complaints Commission, you know, just to, to make sure that this establishment gets into a little bit of trouble because they probably are doing this to other people as well, which is not acceptable. Um, but, you know, where we would need to know a bit more background is, for example, if the, the establishment had notified the employer and said, look, we can accept your booking up until a certain time, after which, unfortunately, we're going to need to move your person elsewhere. You know, had they already kind of negotiated that and Fazili hadn't known, then Fazili would really need to talk to his employer and say, look, you didn't tell me about this, you know, and therefore I have a claim against you for the money I spent. Because it sounds, well, just from what he said, it almost sounds like they actually double booked the accommodation. Yeah, yeah. With one week to go and they just moved him out. Yeah, it does sound like that. And, um, you know, that's where the Consumer Protection Act comes in, because obviously we hear about this a lot with um, plane tickets, for example. You know, you book a flight, you get to the airport, you go and check in and they tell you, oh, sorry, you know, the, the flight's actually full. Well, in that case, you're entitled to a full refund or for them to put you, you know, on, an, on another available flight. The fact that they've overbooked is really not your problem. So if, if, you know, hotels and guest houses are doing the same thing, that's not acceptable. Not acceptable. You don't have to be stranded with nobody to stay. And no. then, especially when they just move your stuff. Surely they can't do that. No, they shouldn't either. be. They certainly shouldn't be touching your stuff without your permission. Um, no, and like I said, poor Fazili must have gotten a big shock when he, when he arrived home from work that day. Right. Okay, the next one. When someone gets taken to the police station for trading liquor illegally and pays a fine for that, is that classified as a criminal record without even going to court? Yes, you know, when you go to the police station and pay a fine, what you're doing is you admitting your guilt. You're paying an admission of guilt fine. So therefore you are saying, yes, I did break the law and I am guilty of a criminal offence. So accordingly, you will then have, you know, a black mark against your record. You will have a criminal record. Oh dear. Okay. Right. That was short and sweet. Next one. <laughs> I would like to know if there is a prescription period for a will to be implemented with regards to property in South African property law. Uh, this in other question, words, you know, is there a time period before it has to be done yeah. within a certain time? Yeah. The, that's how I understand this question. I, you know, I hope we, we've interpreted it correctly, but it seems, to, you know, that what this person is asking is once a person has died and their will now comes into effect, is there a certain time by which, you know, what the will is setting out must be complied with? Now, there isn't any specific period in South African law by which, um, you know, the terms of the will must be carried out. In fact, I know of cases where a person has died, you know, uh, say in 1920, their will was drafted in such a way that it wasn't possible for the estate to be administered, um, you know, within the usual time that we sort of, um, that we, we expect things to be wound up, which is maybe six months to two years at the absolute maximum. In this case, you know, since 1920, the will, you know, the estate is still being administered because of the way that the will was drafted. You know, and that's not uh, wrong in law. It doesn't mean that anybody loses a claim. But what it does mean is the master's office must keep their file open. Uh, the heirs must made, wait for their money. And but half of them are probably dead by exactly now. Exactly right, yeah. So it just, you know, it means that things are just delayed and delayed and delayed. So certainly, um, you know, attorneys and the master's office and everybody else wants things to be wound up as smoothly and quickly as possible. But there certainly wouldn't be a period, um, you know, that's fixed within which things must be done. 
So unfortunately, it can go on, as you say, since 1920, but preferably it shouldn't. Yeah, that's really a terrible situation because, you know, nobody knows whether they're coming or going. And that's where, you know, you, you can even see it when you drive around Cape Town sometimes, you'll see these derelict properties in very nice areas. And you mm. think, what is that about? And you'll often find it's property that is in an estate. It's been bequeathed to the great-grandchildren or grandchildren of the person, you know, in their will. Um and it's just, you know, the, the property is sitting in the estate because it cannot be distributed yet for whatever reason. So it just sits and it, you know, loses its value and nobody really knows what's happening. And then this, this file sits in the master's office gathering dust and, yeah, it's not great. You know, you want everything to be resolved quickly and, you know, so that everybody can move on. Do people ever just forget about the fact that there's a will there? You mean that there's property out there? There's property. I mean, because if it's waiting and waiting and waiting, you know, that the next person in line to get it dies and then the generations after that sort of kind of forget, does it ever happen? Certainly, you know, particularly where you've got families, you know, where somebody has no relatives or, you know, has relatives who move overseas and, you know, people just don't realize what's going on. Then the master's office, you know, their archives are enormous. They've got thousands and thousands of files. And obviously, you know, I'm assuming every now and then they do a little bit of house cleaning and might find these old old matters and think, oh, you know, why is this file still around? Um, but if that doesn't happen, then certainly, you know, property can just sit and, and sort of waste away until somebody realizes what's going on. Um, you know, and that's really why... Or drives past the derelict house and think, didn't great-great-granny used to live there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> look what it looks like now. Maybe you should investigate. Don't yeah. leave it. You could be coming into some property. Yeah. Right, we have a call on the line. Um, Fakila in Cape Town, good evening. Good, good evening, Karen. Thank you guys for taking my call. Okay, how can we help, uh, Fakila? Yeah, Karen, I've got a, 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 a question regarding one office. One, there's one, only one office that actually complain about this is the Ministry of Police. So you have actually helped me regarding some other questions that actually helped uh, regarding the same office, ma'am. Now, there's this uh, thing that actually happened to me that you know, I was then sixthly blocked by the minister or by the Ministry of Police from entering the parliament. And I have taken the issue with the Human Rights Commission, with the Public Protector's Office, uh, with the, the Chief Whip's Office, the, the, the PA, and uh, to Annalise van Weyck, who is now the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Police in Parliament, but the investigation is not taking no, it's not going nowhere within the people in Parliament. But now I was with Tulima Donzella on the 23rd of last month in PAL. But now since everybody's been acting like today, I was in Parliament today, just to, to investigate or to find out if anybody's willing to give out their statement to Tulima Donzella. But it seems like the people that actually were told not to... Uh, 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 tell or to, 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 to say anything to Tulima Donzella's office. So, 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 so everybody must keep every information to themselves. And it's up only to the police to, 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 to reveal everything. So now, ma'am, I need to know if there are any, any uh, actions that I can actually take against the Minister of Police, like suing the Minister of Police, or it could be anything for, for actually abusing the, the office and secretly blocking somebody who hasn't done nothing at all only because he's been trying to fight for my right. I've been trying to fight for my right and the other people's right. But so, Fakira, hang on, what was the actual problem? What was the initial problem that's caused all this? Uh, the actual problem with them is that I, I'm a victim of uh, police unlawful arrest and police negligence. Okay. And uh, then I decided that I should, in fact, take this within, within the Ministry of Police because the system commanders, IPID, and uh, all venues have actually been, uh, that includes the commission uh, officers. Isn't National th- commissioner, uh, that includes the committee safety, they couldn't help me. 
Okay, for Kelly, just hold on a second. Is there not something called IPIT, this this in, internal police investigative directorate or whatever it's called? Um, have you tried them for Kelly? Yes, I have, ma'am, and they 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 couldn't by the time while they were still I I, I see the investigate much of any cases, and uh, I got four letters from the ICD that were actually investigating since 2006. Uh, only received only those four letters of each different case. Okay, so I basically you. It, so now what I need now is and the way of taking some actions against the Ministry of Police because they are now in, uh, in fact trying to protect uh, uh, the, the police that actually has done something wrong to me and uh, they do not want uh, me to actually force them to make our rights publicly known that each and every person has a right to claim within certain amount of sorry certain amount of time because your case is going to lapse because all of my cases have actually lapsed man okay so all I right need, I need it and demand it the Ministry of Police, to make our rights publicly known in all venues. Okay. Now the, public, sorry, the Office of public, sorry of Human Rights, sorry, of this guy now, Minister Nathan Tetwa, they're trying to, to block me from entering the parliament so that I mustn't speak to any other member of parliament regarding the ministries uh, are abusive and them avoiding doing such or public awarenesses to people so that they, must, they should know their rights. Okay, Fakila, let me let me let me speak to the attorney. What what is your situation if you have been unlawfully arrested and there has been a, an issue with, with as Fakila says with him and the police? He's not getting anywhere. What is his next move? Can he appoint a lawyer? Would that be his next move to make? He could certainly try and, and find an attorney who specialises in human, you know, human rights litigation to potentially sue the, the minister of police for, you know, if it's been malicious prosecution or anything like that. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, often those those cases are are tricky. It's often it sounds a, like six or seven years ago, so that's yeah. a prescribed now. Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, because all of the, that time has passed, that would certainly be a problem. Um, you know, and it's always with that, that kind of thing, it's a bit of a David and Goliath situation where you're going to spend a lot of money, um, you know, on a case that you're unlikely to to get the result you want out of. But what he could certainly do, you know, as his sort of last move, if he's not had any any luck, you know, directly with, with everybody involved, is to just find a, a human rights attorney who's prepared to listen to him and to, you know, to basically f- sort of give him finality as to whether he would have a claim or not. Um, the fact that everybody sort of turned their backs and that so much time has passed makes me think his chances are probably not great. But, um, you know, for his own peace of mind, he could certainly get the necessary advice and, and you know, make a final decision from there. For Kelly, does that make sense to you? Yes, it does, ma'am. It does make sense. But uh, the, actually, a point that actually was asking them, the question, is in the uh, action to your guest, I think it's not to your guest, if it isn't there any action that can maybe be taken against the Minister of Police for secretly blocking me as this is still new. Well, this is what she was saying. You, you need to actually speak to a human rights attorney because attorney, they would, right. they would, but they would have to be somebody for Kelly that actually specialises in human rights. Um, not, you, I mean, you can't go to a labour lawyer or, yeah. um, you know, a property lawyer or something like that. You need to go to somebody who specialises in human rights issues, and they would then be able to give you the best answer. They would be the person who would be able to tell you exactly what rights you can you still have, whether it's too late now, all that sort of thing. Or maybe somebody like Mr. Pirate Divorce. Is he, is he there a person like him that maybe can be good? Or like, or should I approach him to find out if uh, is there any way in which maybe can help or just give me a sort of open advice? Maybe? Sorry, I didn't get who who were you who did you say for Mr. Pirate Divorce? Oh, Pierre de Foss. Yes. 
Oh, okay. Well, I don't know whether he's a human rights lawyer. I'm not actually too sure. And well, I honestly... He's an analyst of a constitutional law expect. Yes, well, I think just just try and find get get some advice and look for a human rights attorney, and they'll be able to give you the best advice. Okay, okay. thanks for Kelly. Thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Bye bye. If you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892102010. Our next email, while we're waiting for the next call, um, is from Herbert, who says I registered at an RDP house in Shell House in Durban and obtained registration number. When I checked when the house was built, the human settlement advised me that my name appears but the site number does not appear. So now I must approach the ward councillor in order to allocate me with a new site number. The reason the site number doesn't appear on their system was that the site seller sold each site to different buyers. That's why I do not have the site belonging to me. Kindly advise me as an expert about the law, which is obviously you, not me, Louise, that what is to be done to obtain a new site in the same area as the site seller failed to deliver the site? Yeah, you know, what's very sad is this is a very uh, common problem. What happens particularly, you know, up in the Eastern Cape and because um, tell in those areas is when these developments start uh, for, you know, building RDP houses and allocating them to people. Um, unfortunately, there is quite a lot of corruption that, that goes on in the process. So what will happen is a person will put themselves on the list to be allocated to an RDP house. They'll sometimes wait years, you know, even 10, 20, 30 years to get a house. Um, they may then be allocated a house, but somebody else has allocated that same house. What happens then is they don't have access to the house, but their name is already on the list. So as far as the, the Department of Human Settlements is concerned, you know, they've been given a house and they bumped off the list, basically. So unfortunately, that is very common. What, what you know, we usually recommend to people in a situation like that is you could obviously sort of start lower down and talk to the ward councillors and all of that and make sure they know that you're not satisfied with what's happened. But what you may need to end up doing is lodge a formal complaint with the department and you could do that through the public protector. Um, and, you know, what you could even do is obviously if, you know, it's an, in, you know, an impoverished area and there's no access to, to legal resource and that kind of thing, is to contact your free legal services like the Legal Resources Centre, uh, the various university law clinics, and at least assist, you know, get them to assist you with lodging a formal complaint about what's happened. And essentially what you want then is for them to allocate you a new house and, you know, not to basically put you back on the waiting list because it's an internal mess that they need to fix for you. Um, so yeah, you know it's it's a tricky situation, but unfortunately, it it happens all the time. So the, what he was somebody told him that he has to go and speak to the ward councillor. So would you say that would be the first move? Look, you could try it, but you know the chances are, you know, without being too negative, often what happens is the ward councillors, you know, may be involved in these things. Um, so you know, really, the only ones who would really have the power to write it would be the department. So the Department of Human Settlements. Um, but certainly, you know, th what I've done for clients in the past is contacted the ward councillor, who's often an official of the Department of Housing or Department of uh, Human Settlements, and indicated in no uncertain terms that the, you know, what has happened is not acceptable and is illegal. And you'd be surprised sometimes, you know, things are shifted around and, and next thing a person is presented with the house, you know, that they've been waiting for. If that doesn't work, though, then you would certainly need to take it further. But either way, it's not acceptable. So, but then maybe you, you recommend they go to one of the law clinics at the universities, the Legal Resources Centre or the law clinics, yeah. to get someone possibly there to write the letter or the demand, if you like, yeah. or lodge a complaint To lodge or the formal complaint, mm. yeah. yeah. It has to be done because, you know, it happens a lot. Don't leave it, though. Definitely don't leave it. Um, 
you know, unfortunately, as much as there is abuse that goes on, um, you know, by unscrupulous people sort of selling RDP houses, you know, and, and allocating them to more than one, one person, the problem is it happens on the flip side as well, where a person will be allocated a house and, you know, within six months being allocated, they'll try and sell it at a profit. They are then, you know, as far as the database goes, they've been allocated a house, they can't get a new one, but then they want another one and they'll do whatever they can to get it. So, you know, that's where the system can get, you know, it a can, iffy. It can mm. get a bit iffy and, and, you know, people can be allocated more than one house and, you know, those who've been waiting for a long, long time can get nothing at all. So, yeah, certainly, you know, any funny business needs to be reported so, you know, that the process can, can go, go a lot smoother and... You know, people can be protected. Right, so don't leave it, Herbert. Go and follow up on that one. Have a call on the line. France in Rustenburg. Good evening. Hello, France. Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Hello, France. Hope we'd lost you there for a minute. Hello, how can we help you? Uh, I'm having a problem with a certain bank. I'm afraid to call their name. No, please don't say the name. Just tell us what the problem is. Yes. I bought a car through the bank, no? So they, they charged me insurance for mechanical breakdown. So I did have a problem with the engine after five years. So when I go to claim to them, they said to me that uh, they've made a mistake to say mechanical uh, breakdown insurance. You said they were up to say it's a service plan. So I don't know legality on that issue. Okay, so they told you it was a mechanical breakdown insurance, but in actual fact, it was a service plan. Yes. Okay, and, and I was servicing on my own with my own money, because in the in, in the book, they, in the agreement, they have said I'm having mechanical breakdown insurance. Do you have that in writing? Yes, I'm having in writing that it's mechanical breakdown insurance. Yes, Louise. Yeah, in a case like that, it would really turn on exactly what that agreement says. Mm. You know, so if it specifically says that, yes, there's mechanical breakdown insurance, but, you know, there could be fine print that says, you know, you need to have the car serviced, you know, through insurance that's through the bank as well or something like that, then, you know, it could it could be that, you know, he's not covered. So it really depend exactly on what those policy documents say. So the best would be to try and speak to somebody at the bank and get them to explain exactly what, you know, the terms of the, the agreement mean and what the implications are. And then if it turns out that he has been misled or, you know, that his claims have been refused um, unfairly, then that's where he would approach, you know, the insurance ombuds and, and those sort of those bodies to, to get it resolved. But with these things, it certainly turns, you know, 100% on what that agreement says. France, was there anything in that agreement that said that you had to have your car serviced by one of the authorized dealers of the car? No, there's, there's no other document that shows. The only thing that they show is after I paid the car, because I left you the, uh, the, uh, they call it a uh, balloon uh, amount. Oh, the balloon payment. They, they make a, 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 a letter to me. <coughs> Sorry. In that letter, they stated clearly that how much I'm paying for the car and the service and everything. And they stated clearly that the chemical breakdown insurance is this amount. You see, I've gone through all the doors in that bank. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm coming out with a vein because nobody wants to take responsibility on that. Okay, um, France, I'm going to put you back to my producer now. And if you can, do you have an email address? 
Yes. Okay, give him your email address, and what I will do is I will email you contact details for the short-term insurance ombudsman, and you need to contact the short-term insurance ombudsman because if they're actually saying that on that last letter they sent you that the ins- mechanical breakdown insurance, and they're actually saying those words, now they're saying that it was a mistake, I'm sure he's got a claim. He should actually speak to the short-term insurance ombud, would you say, Louise? Yeah, you know, that's certainly a route that's potentially possible. But, you know, what I think is important as well is if you received a letter saying, you know, you must pay your balloon payment and if it's actually been paid, then, of course, what happens is the high purchase agreement comes to an end and so would any insurance that's associated with it. So, you know, that's potentially something to look at as well. Is is it a matter of them saying that he wasn't covered or a matter of the insurance actually having lapsed? France, was your insurance finished? Oh, he's gone. Okay. Well, I will actually email him and just give him all those options and just tell him to look at it. If, because obviously, if the car isn't still insured, then that isn't going to be insured either. But he's saying they're telling him they made a mistake. Uh, yeah, it sounds That doesn't fishy. sound right. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's why it's As so you say, important. it depends what it says. It always depends on the paperwork. And yeah. the fine print, especially. <laughs> yeah, the little right. The little stuff you need to get your glasses to read. Exactly. Those things are the worst. Right. Let's go and speak to Phil in Pretoria. Phil, good evening. Yeah, good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm on good. How can we help, Phil? I just want to ask a question that before the NCR, is it was it legally right for the bank to repossess the car without going to the court or to get a judgment? The reason why I'm saying so is that I purchased a car through a particular bank and I failed to pay... Uh, installment on a monthly basis i used to skip you know then i was informed by the bank to say that if you are unable to pay your monthly installment you must bring the car because you cannot drive something that you cannot afford i did that but at the same time i wrote several letters to the bank to say that on this particular uh, month i will get my investment my investment will mature, and I will be able to pay. But due to some certain circumstances and errors on my side in terms of following, I failed. But my investment mature at the right time. But later I realized that the bank have already repossessed um, the car. Then I went to Ombudsman. I raised an issue with them. Then... I failed, you know, because they say that um, that was before the NCR uh, Act, and 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 uh, once you skip a, a, a month or once you didn't agree in terms of the letter you wrote to the to the bank, they've got a right to 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 repossess the car. But currently, I, I feel that you know. Uh, for a bank to repossess the car without going to court and get a judgment, it's unlawful. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong. For when did this happen? It happened before the NCR Act. Yeah, that was in 2001. When was the NCR? I'm just asking uh, what year this happened, this re- repossession of the car. Uh, I think 2002, somewhere there. 2002. Okay. Louise, it's, always, yeah. it's long gone, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, you know, when you say the NCR, I'm assuming you mean the National Credit Act. Um, yeah. And really what the National Credit Credit Act makes sure of now is that um, notice must be given to debtors when they default and they must be given a chance to, you know, basically try and get every, you know, get their financial situation in order. But what you must always remember is when you buy a car on credit from a bank, the car does not belong to you. It remains 
the property of the bank until such time as it's been fully paid off. So yes. if you enter into an arrangement with them that you'll pay them off, usually that arrangement is along the lines of if you miss so much as one payment, no matter what reason you have or what's happened in your life, they are entitled to basically cancel the agreement and take their property back. So, you know, certainly had there been anything, um, you know, had this happened now and they hadn't given you the necessary notes and all of that, you may have potentially been able to, you know, to claim that they'd acted unfairly. But certainly, you know, at the end of the day, the, the car never belonged to you if you were still paying it off. Um, and obviously the fact that this happened so long ago, unfortunately, means, you know, that, that any possibility of lodging complaints or anything like that has long passed. There's no recourse now at all. No, so, unfortunately but just, to, just to be 100% sure, it's legally right before that, uh, during that time, uh, to repossess without going to court. Well, you see, when, what usually would happen is that a, a judgment would be taken against you for whatever's outstanding, and that judgment could be taken by default. So you would never really know uh, that action had been instituted against you if the summons had never been served on you and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, the default judgment process is certainly legal. But having said that, it would entirely depend on what the arrangement was with the bank. You know, the banks, um, particularly with, with a lot of the older sort of arrangements that they had with people, um, you know, like I say, because it was always the property of the bank, the bank d didn't necessarily have to try and take action against you to get back what was what belonged to them. Um, you know, had you signed away any of those rights, so okay. that's why back in those days, you know, it would really depend on you know, like we were saying earlier, what the paperwork says. Um, but yeah, you know, certainly if you had defaulted and and they had not accept your reasons and and all of that, then they would be entitled to retain what belongs to them. Right. No, Sorry about much. that, Phil. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye okay. now. You're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Louise Ostlin. She's an associate at Skuman Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic this evening, so no fixed topic. If you have any legal questions for us, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. A few more emails. Um... This says, I have spent five years in South Africa on an asylum seeker's permit, three of which I've been married under customary law to a South African citizen. After the five years, I was granted asylum. So my question now is, when do I apply for permanent residence? Can I do it now or do I have to wait again for a further five years? We actually did a little bit of research into this when we received the email from you, Karen. Um, and what we discovered is, is Home Affairs have indicated that this particular uh, person could certainly lodge their application. but Now already, doesn't have to wait yeah, five yeah. years. Okay, He could lodge it now. But, you know, obviously what Home Affairs say and, and what's going to work in practice can sometimes be different. So what we would really advise this person is if they would like to proceed with, with lodging the application, which I'm sure they would, so that their status is, is you know, resolved, uh, they should do it through an immigration attorney or through a registered immigration practitioner who knows exactly what's going to be required, what, you know, what problems may potentially arise and, and how to deal with home affairs accordingly. Because, you know, these kind of applications are tricky and, you know, you can imagine home affairs are very quick to reject, um, you know, applications like this because of, you know, um, the problems that we have. So certainly he, you know, what we've been advised is he could claim, but he just needs to make sure that he's he's doing it through Crossed the right channel. all the channel. T's and dotted the I's, exactly, basically. Exactly, exactly. would I, just from a personal point of view, just a question. Um, the fact that he has been married for three of those five years already to a South African citizen, it, it sort of 
shows in my view that it's not a fly by night let's get a green card as the americans would say or just to get permanent residence here he has actually been married already for three years that would make him a lot more stable yeah you know in theory but you know what we've experienced is that people's permits are often rejected for entirely arbitrary reasons so you know that's why on the face of it it might seem like a good you know good Mm. case but there might be something that the department don't like and that's why you get somebody to assist you with making sure that your application is perfect and you know you've submitted all the necessary supporting documents and you really make out a good case to to get that permit Right, next one. I want to know if I sold a house to someone and I sold it through an agency, who is supposed to pay the agency, me, or should he get the cut from the lawyer who processed the thing between the seller and the new owner? Which is a little bit confusing because is he the seller? Um, I would imagine he's referring to himself in the third person here as the seller. Um, But I'm assuming they're talking about the commission here. Yeah, from what I can gather in this question, they're talking about the estate agent's commission. Mm. Now, usually what happens is um, somebody will um, ask an estate agent to assist them with selling their house. And that that relationship is then between the owner of the property who's selling it and the agent. So what that means then is, is the seller is the one who's responsible for paying the estate agent's commission to the estate agent. It's certainly possible to have a different arrangement where you sell the house in the condition that the purchaser must pay that commission or some other you know, arrangement, but um, nine times out of ten, it's the seller's responsibility to pay. When it comes to who, you know, how the money is actually paid, often what happens is the conveyancer, who is the, the attorney who basically oversees the whole transfer of the property from the seller to the purchaser, usually that conveyancer will pay the agent out of the purchase price that they receive from the purchaser. Um, so that means, you know, technically it's the seller's responsibility to pay it. But what the conveyancer does is they receive the purchase price, uh, deduct the commission and give it to the agent. And then the balance goes to the seller. So that's where the lawyer comes in. So maybe this listener got a little bit confused about the lawyer and the cut. That The lawyer is not getting a cut of the commission. The lawyer is just overseeing the transfer, basically, of the commission from the seller to the uh, from the buyer to the seller. Yeah. The the conveyancer, who's the attorney overseeing the whole process, has no relationship with the agent whatsoever. Um, And in fact, you know, usually what happens is that the conveyancer's fees are paid by the purchaser. And so, yeah, you know, really it's the seller who's responsible for the estate agent's commission and then it's the purchaser who's responsible for the conveyancer's fees. But what people often get confused about is the fact that the conveyancer is chosen and appointed by the seller, even though it's the purchaser who's paying their fees. So that's, you know, the whole process can get a little bit confusing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, as we've said throughout the show, it's all about the paperwork yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where your deed of sale or offer to purchase um, is so crucial because that will actually explain obviously who the agent is, how much commission they're entitled to, who's responsible for paying it and when it must be paid. So that's, you know, the document you always refer back to, to see who's responsible for what. But normally it's the seller who has to pay the commission to the agent. Yeah. Okay. And normally you don't have to pay it out of your pocket. It comes out of the purchase price. Yeah. And that's where the lawyer possibly would have got involved. Yeah. That's where the lawyer, you know, because often what happens is the purchaser, uh, obviously it gets even more complicated where you've got bonds and bonds that must be cancelled and all sorts of things. Um, But often what will happen is um, the conveyancer will say, look, you know, we'll oversee all of the financial transactions after the property has been transferred. And they'll want all of those transactions to, you know, be, they'll want there to be as few transactions as possible. So what they'll usually do is say, okay, if the purchase price is going to be paid to us, let's, you know, deduct X amount pass to the agent and then just send the balance to the seller. So it's a nice, you know, quick, um, you know, uh, thing that needs to, to, to be done. 
But it certainly depends. I mean, you can have an estate agent who says, well, I actually want to be paid my commission as soon as I find you, about, you know, a buyer who's able to, to buy. So once again, that's where that offer to purchase is crucial. But certainly, I'd say not, definitely nine times out of ten, the agreement is that the, the conveyancer will make sure that the money is passed through the correct channels and that'll only be after the property's been transferred. But on the other hand, make sure you read the documents. That's the big thing. We've said it all night, and it seems to be the theme going yeah. through the show this evening. Read everything. Yeah, that's the golden right. rule. Leon in Cape Town, good evening. Hi, good evening, Colin. Hi, how, fine, and you, Leon? I'm good, I'm good. How can we help? Uh, yes, I've just got a question. Um, for, for the city of Cape Town, right, um, I just need to understand. I've received a bill, uh, a municipality bill for rates and tax. Um, apparently, somehow, the city of Cape Town has not billed me for three years, um, there's a month in, say, for instance, um, 2007, and then a month maybe in 2008 and 2009. Um, then, I think it was within this year, I received a letter from the city of Cape Town telling me, listen here, you now need to fork up about four grand for those, for the period um, 2007, 2008, 2009, where we have not billed you. I then... Um, Went to the, I first went to the city of Cape Town, then I went to the ombudsman um, to, to complain and said, listen, yeah, I'm prepared to be liable for any other but the 4,000 rand, even though I know, because how do you keep me liable for um, something that has not been built for, for three years? And after three years, you come back to me and tell me now, listen, yeah, we have not built you, we sorry we have not built you, now you need to pay us this X amount. Um, the ombudsman basically, um, according to me, has not helped me because they keep on referring back to interest, which was added to that amount. Um, that was not my my gripe with the whole account. Um, what I've told him was that I, what I need them to do is I'm not responsible for their negligence in their work, not bullying me for that period. And uh, not even notifying me that, listen, yeah, we've got a system issue. Uh, please take note that you will be built at a later stage. Um, there was no effect, no communication, just a letter now in 2013 where they told me, listen here, um, 4,000 has been added to your bill um, and you need to pay this now. What, what was happening, Leon, every, at the end of the month when you weren't getting a bill? Did you, did it not, no, did I, you not... I, look, it's, it's not that I have not received the bill. No, but within at the times the you didn't get them. Within the municipal bill, um, you have your rates and tax and your sewerage and your, your, yes, your services. Yes, yeah. So somehow within that, in the bill, in, in a month, they have not, say for instance, um, they have not billed me for rates and tax. I oh, see so you were getting the bill with all the other things on it and they just weren't yeah, putting the one yeah. thing on the back. Oh, okay. And, all right. And, and what I've been doing is I've basically just looked at the, the number because this is a vacant plot. Understand, it's, it's not, there's no house on it, it's a vacant plot. And um, when I received the bill, I said to myself, but I'm, I'm, I don't owe them, um, say, for instance, nine grand. I owe them only like three grand. Where does the money come from? So then I phoned the city of Cape Town. They said to me, if I'm not happy, this is what the system says, then I need to go to the ombudsman. According to me, the ombudsman is not really helping me because they're only referring to somebody, something completely different. They're referring to... Uh, interest being charged to that account. Okay, so basically when, when you were getting your accounts, the, there was no way that you could see that they weren't charging you the right amount. 
No, I, I would not see there was no way because what, what I've, I've been doing is, say for instance, I, I, I look at the end total of my bill mm. and not the complete total and I only pay the end total because I do internet banking. So what I basically do is if I know my bill is 500 rand, I normally just pay in 500 rand every month. Because it's a vacant plot, I know that would be plus minus the amount that, that uh, okay. to the bill. All right, so let's just see what, what um, Louise has to say. All right, Louise. Well, in a situation like that, um, you know, we actually help clients quite a lot with lodging formal complaints at the city and asking them to investigate where things have gone wrong. So, you know, that's certainly an option. And, you know, what I would do then is is firstly, uh, you know, you could find an attorney who's prepared to assist you with lodging a formal complaint where you're not so much complaining as much as asking them to do an internal ev- investigation and to find out how this happened. And, you know, to obviously make it clear that if it is an administrative error on, on their part, they should be willing to compromise and potentially write off some of the balance. You know, you'd be surprised yeah, how, how, you know, um, going and, and arguing with them can sometimes give you a good result. The, 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 the one question that I keep on asking the lady, because I actually went to the, the, the ombudsman, like, for instance, the first, the first step of the ombudsman, and then I never got a reply from this lady. Then I actually went to a manager. A manager replied to me. Um, and then she replied back to me again. The one question that I had for the ombudsman is, and I've given them questions which I'm asking, I say to them, how can you not pick it up? Um, Aren't you supposed to be audited every year? Because, I mean, as a company, you need to be audited. If you have glitches in your system or if you're putting in a new system in place, you let people know to say, listen here, we might encounter problems, but please bear with us. Um, We will have to bill you. But three years later, coming back to you and saying to you, listen here, um, this has now, we've picked it up now, maybe in the third year, and now you're liable for this. And if you don't pay this, we will disconnect your water or whatever, or put you on ITC. Um, I'm asking the question, what happened to the people that made these mistakes? Are they kept accountable? Because partially I'm paying their salary, and now they're also keeping me liable for some malfunction in their system, I now need to pay for that, so I'm, I'm getting beaten twice. Okay, so what, you just, uh, Louise saying he needs to speak to an attorney about this to lodge an actual formal complaint. It might be, have a little more impact coming from an attorney. It's certainly an option. Otherwise, you know, if, if he decides not to pay the amount, then the city may well take action against him and, and serve a summons on him, at which point he could defend the action and raise all of these issues as his defense and basically, you know, then see what the result of that is. Although, you know, obviously nobody wants to be involved in litigation. But, you know, I can understand the frustration. Obviously, we all hear about these terrible cases of people getting bills for 20,000 Rand municipal accounts out of the blue. And, you know, certainly they, it goes without saying that there are problems, you know, within the system. Yeah. But, um, you know, when it, when it comes to arguing, you know, about who should be held accountable and all of that kind of thing, you know, that's not really going to solve your problem. If they're claiming that you owe the money, you need to you know, somehow get them to negotiate with you and potentially write some of it off or, you know, admit that there was a problem on their side because you do not want the threat of, of them suing you hanging over your head. And the thing is, am I correct in thinking that the three-year prescription period doesn't apply to municipal accounts? That's right. It doesn't mm. apply to the state. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And, you know, that's, that obviously is, is unfair, but that, you know, that just is the way the law is at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thank Leon, you. Leon, sorry, we couldn't be too much help, but um, it's a case of strength to you. <laughs> All strength. Yeah, they actually wrote me an email saying, listen, if you want us to go back to evaluate your place, we will evaluate your place or the property and, and, and you will find that you'll have to fork out more on valuation. Then I said to the lady, and this is the Umbus lady, I said to her, but that time there was no houses built there. 
So how can you evaluate the property now as to what is now um, being for since the last three years where there was nothing? The valuation should have been completely different. How will you get the proper value? So yeah, I'm between a, I'm looking in the a rock and a hard place. Yeah, now, where I need to go to. But oh. you, could you just tell me one thing? Which type of lawyer do I go to, in, in, or, or attorney do I go to in this case? Any general practice attorney could assist you with something like this because it's really just a matter of, of sort of putting your side of the story, you know, in writing, using the correct language and making sure that it gets to the right place. So really any okay. any general practice attorney should be able to assist you with that. Okay. Leon, Leon, have a look at my uh, Facebook page, Law on SAFM, and there's all the attorneys I speak to on the show every week are all on there. So have a look. Okay. Thank you, Karen. Okay, Leon, have a good Thanks. evening. Bye-bye. Right, I'm Min in El Dorado Park. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Hi. Uh, thanks for the nice show. Thank you. How can we help, Amin? Hey, I'm also coming with my problem. <laughs> That's why we're here, Amin. Uh, I really, I really listen to the problem. I sympathize with you guys, but I, I'm also in the queue now. Yes, there you go. So it's your turn. All right. Uh, I, I have a, a problem similar to that one. I've received a count of 90,000 on Wharton Lights. Oh, my goodness. Are you in Johannesburg? Okay. Yes. And uh, what happened, I, I, I argue with this guy, and he say in agree, he say this is too, this is too much. When I look at my account, it was 40. What happened, they, they brought the whole uh, uh, outstanding money back, and uh, they give me 14 days. I went up to the to the council. They, they, they told me I must put 20, uh, 25% down, and they will work it out in three months. I... I was prepared to do it, but the shock was that they don't want like a debt collect uh, a debt co- uh, solution involved. Now it shocked me. How can I? You know, you must make agreement with them. And so I hang said, on, wait, no. wait, wait, wait. I mean, is this money that was has been outstanding for a while that they sort of wrote off and then suddenly didn't write it yes, off anymore? And, and and it come back. What uh, what new now is ninety thousand. What was it before? That what it was forty thousand. That's what they wrote off. Yes, and they give me fourteen days. And now the thing is, is they want the, they want to take legal action, but also they want to make you must make a agree agreement with them, and they don't want you must consult uh, like a debt uh, debt uh, collector or debt solution. You know, somebody can advise you, or you go for a debt debt, counsel. ca- debt counselor. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want advice. How can one deal with an issue like that? Yeah, you know, the answer would be fairly similar to the last one, which is yes, that, you, uh, yeah, you could either get an attorney to assist you now um, who could essentially put your side of the story on record and make it clear that to, you know, slap someone with a... a, a 90,000 <laughs> in 14 days. Yeah, I, I think is, most of us would be hard-pressed to come up with that. Exactly. Yes, it's it's they, entirely they are, unreasonable. They are, they are increasing the prices or the, the, you know, the the, the debt. And I saw an article in the paper in the Star similar to that one it's just ridiculous yeah you know it's, it's so common and unfortunately a lot of people ignore the accounts or let legal action be instituted against them and that's you know where the city can then um you know can sort of win in the sense that they have a judgment against you which you don't want mm. so if you do stand up to them and explain look you know this debt was previously written off and you've somehow um you know uh, build me for it again and it's all a mistake on your side and can you please you know elevate this to the highest level and all of that you know hopefully it can be resolved but certainly i would be very hesitant to pay any money over um just yet just yet particularly you know you always uh, start to worry when they want enormous cash deposits from you and they they're encouraging you to do it you know without involving their attorneys or or anybody else that sounds you know like 
you could be mm. getting yourself into a little bit of trouble. I mean, so you say that they wrote off the first amount. Do you have any paperwork where it shows that they did that? Yeah, you see, the, the thing, this was in the paper, but also the time when Soweto did not want to patch into the whole thing. They came to El Araro Park and they forced us, or they called us together to, to say, all right, you guys can have the prepaid. So we put in a prepaid to a pretense they, they write off the arrears. Okay. Okay. So even I got the prepaid for the last, uh, say, seven years, but still a bill is coming. So the time when we put in a prepaid was 40000 Then uh, uh, we, we uh, use a prepaid from uh, 40000 is now 90000 How did they get it right? What a prepaid. Now, you need yeah. to speak to somebody. Is there a, a law clinic? Are you anywhere near any of the no, universities I, there? I try to phone Black uh, Sage, but they are, they, they are close. I don't no, know. No, no, no. Are you near to any of the universities up there in Joburg? I mean, yes, uh, the one will be maybe Wurzel. Yep. Yes, uh, they've, got, they've got a law clinic there. They do, yeah. And it's, it's free. You can actually go make an appointment to go to the legal or to the law clinic. Yeah, and about they, what time is it? Every day open. I'm not sure of the opening time. There's a one day row, the the one that used to be row. It's UJ now, University yeah. of Johannesburg. Yeah. Because I thought going in tomorrow to them. Okay, uh, I'm in. I'm going to put you back to my producer. Have you got an email address? Yes. Okay, I'm going to put you back to the producer. Give him your email address, and I will look it up quickly when I get back to my office later. All and right. I will email you some contact details. I, I will appreciate it. Okay. Hey, you are a star. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Star. I mean, we've got to win the war here, you know. Hey, you stuff, stuff, stuff all day. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right, bye. Okay, I mean, good night to you. Before we get to the next call, I just want to go. My very last email is from Abdullah. He says, I'm working. I've got another five years before retirement. I'm on a provident fund and it's with a bank, which I won't name. I also have a personal loan with the same bank. And he says, if I'm still owing an amount to this bank at the age of 60, will they take the amount I'm owing them before they pay me my balance of the provident fund? And also, if I'm owing other debtors, will it come off my provident fund before paying it to me? Is this another one of those read the fine print things? <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for it, Louise. I was going to say to you, I think you know what the answer is. Um, yeah, it really depends what the agreement is with the bank. Uh, so certainly should there be money owing the bank and then the bank you know, is now uh, ready to pay you out, then there would certainly be a set-off situation where they can say, look, you owe us 5,000 rand on your personal loan, but we owe you 50, so we'll pay you 45. Um, you know, often arrangements like that will be written down you know, in the various agreements that have been entered into, so the loan agreements and the provident fund um, agreements. But uh, when it comes to, he says here, um, if I'm owing other debtors, will it come off my provident fund? Definitely not if they have nothing to do with the bank with whom the provident fund is. So if they, you know, entirely separate to, to you know, the arrangement between the person and the bank, then certainly not. But once again, you need to check your, your paperwork. Oh, gosh, we're going to spend a lot of time reading the fine print here, Louise. <laughs> this is giving us something to do. Right, we've, we haven't got too much longer to the end of the show. We'll try and fit in some more calls. Fakile in Johannesburg, good evening. Hello, good, good evening. Hi, how can we help, Fakile? I actually just wanted to con- uh, confirm my understanding or rather comment on an answer that was, that was given to one of the callers who was saying um, his car was repossessed without going without the the bank having yes. gone to court right and i think uh, there was he was saying that was that proper before the national credit Act came into operation so i think there was a lot of stressing on the fact that uh, the bank was the owner the ownership of the regular was on the bank uh, i had an understanding that it doesn't matter whether they had ownership of the car the fact of the matter is that he had an undisturbed position of the car. So therefore, uh, it was not proper for the bank, even before the coming into operation of the National Credit Act, that it took 
the car without a court order. That is the understanding that I had. So the way I understood the answer that was given, it was more stressing on the fact that the bank had ownership of the car. So therefore, it could just go uh, and, and repossess the car without following the proper processes. Louise? Yeah, there's a big difference between ownership and possession. The way I understood the caller's question was that the, the vehicle had already actually been repossessed uh, when he had initially defaulted. He then made arrangements with them, told him, you know, told them that he invest, had investments coming in and all of that kind of thing, uh, and later on found out that actually, you know, the vehicle was no longer available and the bank had probably gotten rid of it. So that's certainly an entirely different issue to where you are in undisturbed uh, possession of anything, whether it's a car or anything else, and somebody forcibly takes it away from you. They can't do that, whether they are the owner. Uh, they mm -hmm. certainly can't do that. They need to bring a, you know, get a court order to be able to do yeah. that. So it really yeah. does depend on the situation. You know, if the, you've already sort of given the car back and said, it's fine, I can't pay for it now, but I will in the future, then you find out that you know, the bank's not going to give it back to you. That's an entirely different thing because you've already given it up. Okay, no, that's fine then. Okay, okay. for okay. Thanks for getting through. Thank good you so night. Much. Good night to you. Right, Enoch in Freelichung says he's got a very quick question. Enoch, good evening. Hello, hello, ma'am. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. Okay, so this very quick question, Enoch. Yes, it's very short. I sold a house, and then there's this agent and the conveyance involved in the selling of the house. And the, 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 the purchaser bought the house. His bond was approved, but now we are, we are waiting for the from the master high court, and then we are told the the file is missing, and I don't know what to do now. So can you give me what to do? Because I'm thinking of going to to the master's court tomorrow, but I don't know what to do when I get there, because we were told our, the file uh, is missing. They're supposed to do the the transfer liquidation and. And distribution of time. They're supposed to draft it. I couldn't see this as they told me. Oh, Enoch, this line, this line is really bad, and we actually have got literally a minute to go. And you just basically want to know what happened now. The file's missing. What does he do with the missing file in literally 15 seconds, Louise? Yeah, if, if he, I think he's talking about the master's office. Yes. If they've lost a file, then a dummy file needs to be created. So the attorneys involved would certainly have copies of everything that's been drafted, like the liquidation distribution account, and they would just relodge everything with the master and ask the master to create basically a dummy file. So that's, you know, that would need to happen fairly quickly. Okay, so Enoch, all is not lost. Just approach the attorneys, get them to give you or get copies together of all the documents, and they'll be able to create a dummy file did you call it yeah yeah so it's okay. basically a duplicate a duplicate file, file of yeah. what there was right once again a very busy program my thanks once again this evening to louise ostler she's an associate at skillman attorneys conveyances and notaries public practicing here in cape town and she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the law report program and we'll be running legal clinics like this one on the second monday of every month so we'll be doing it again on monday the 9th of september louise thank you very much for joining us this evening thanks for having me it's a been very great. busy evening <laughs> The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in next week's program, we'll be talking about sectional title with Professor Graham Paddock, a sectional title specialist's lawyer. That's The Law Report next week, Monday the 19th of August. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with our monthly phone-in on health matters. And this month, we'll be talking about hypertension or high blood pressure with Professor Brian Rayner. So join me then. Just a reminder for information, Facebook, Law on SAFM, email law at SAFM. AFM.co.za and Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.